As we go to God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. So let our cry come before you, O Lord, and give us understanding according to your word. Let our plea come before you and deliver us according to your word. And our lips will pour forth praise, for you teach us your statutes. Our tongues will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. And hear us, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. If you're using the Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 669. The book of Proverbs is between Psalms and Ecclesiastes. And if you're looking for it, you just open your Bible to the middle and you should be close. Um, But we're going to begin a new series on the book of Proverbs this morning. So if you're visiting with us, we're starting out a new series in the book of Proverbs. And we're starting in chapter 1 and we'll read the first seven verses together. So Proverbs chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, reading through verse 7, and let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And let the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Well, as a congregation, we've just finished taking some time to look at First and Second Thessalonians, and the reason we looked at that book together, one of the reasons was that it's an encouraging book. Uh, it's a church that's doing well, and so it's, it's on the whole an encouraging word. And I thought that God's people in the times in which we're living needed to hear an encouraging word. We need encouragement uh, for the times in which we live. Uh, and then I thought, well, now that we've moved out of that encouraging word, where might we go in the Word of God and ask for suggestions from some people. And I thought it's good to think about wisdom. Uh, We need encouragement to live in the world in which we live, uh, but we also need wisdom in order to live aright in the world in which we live, Uh, to live as aliens and sojourners in this world, to be in the world but not of the world, to enjoy the world that God has given us but not become so entangled by the world that we get caught up and get taken off our path up to Zion in this world, to navigate that course and not to turn to the left or to the right uh, requires wisdom. It requires us to have wisdom. And as one commentator said, that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. But if we wanted to summarize its message, its message is how to walk in wisdom's ways. How to walk in wisdom's ways. And which of us doesn't need help in walking in wisdom's ways? Um, And so that's what this book is about on the whole, and these first seven verses in chapter 1 serve as a kind of prologue or introduction to the book as a whole. Uh, They they tell us something about how God is going to instruct us in wisdom, and we can learn a lot of important things about wisdom right here from the introduction. 
um, if, if we look at it carefully. And so we want to ask the question this morning, how does God instruct his people to walk in wisdom? And we see that he does that first by a faithful guide. Uh, this, this wisdom is given to us by a faithful guide for a fruitful purpose. So that it would serve a purpose in the life of God's people. And finally, with a foundational principle, uh, that keystone principle uh, for all of wisdom literature, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so that's how we want to think about God instructing us in wisdom's ways. He introduces that instruction by a faithful guide. Uh, The book of Proverbs begins with an important title in verse 1. Um, it tells us that these are the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And if we know anything about King Solomon, we know that he's most famous for being wise. Um, that's how he is presented to us in Scripture, as one who is wise. We re- might remember that from First Kings when God comes to him and says, Solomon, you can ask of me anything you want. Right, God comes to him with a blank check. Whatever you want, Solomon, you may have. And he, and he could ask for anything. And what does he ask for? He asks for wisdom. He asks for wisdom to be able to rule the great people of God. And God is so pleased with that request that he asks for that and not riches or some of the other things that we might ask for if given a blank check from God. And so God is so pleased that he gives him wisdom beyond everyone else. Uh, we read in 1 Kings four twenty nine to 31, and God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breath of mind like sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all other men, and verse 31 ends, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. Uh, he's famous and well-known for God-given wisdom. And so who better to guide God's people through wisdom than King Solomon? He's not just known for his wisdom, but he is also the king of all Israel. Uh, we, We might forget that right after his kingship, the kingdom was split in two Um, into two kingdoms, into Israel and Judah. So he's not just the king, but he's the last king of all of God's people. Uh, He's the last king that reigns over all. And so he speaks as one who is over all of God's people. He's the one giving the guidance. And who is the guidance for? The title is very interesting in this respect because it tells us who the audience is for these Proverbs. Um, it tells us by what it doesn't say. Um, because, now you might say, now, that's an interesting trick. How did you get there? Um, but one of the things that's common in, in Eastern literature, in ancient Near Eastern wisdom literature, is that if a king writes wisdom, he identifies himself as the one writing the wisdom, and he identifies who the wisdom is for. Usually he writes it for his son or for the person who will rule after him so that they understand how to rule. So it's a narrow audience, usually included in the title. So what people would have expected in opening this book of wisdom literature from Solomon was something like Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to Rehoboam, my son. And it would have been remarkable to them that there is no addressee here. There is no audience specified. 
And what that does is it opens out the wisdom to all of God's people. Solomon as king is not just writing wisdom for the princes, although there are things that princes can learn from the wisdom. But it's for prince and peasant and everybody in between. It's for all of God's people. Here is a wise king giving instruction and wisdom for all the people, that all the people might be wise. This is a wonderful thing to read. This is counter to how wisdom was in the ancient Near East. This is a democratized view of wisdom, that it's for all of God's people, for the whole covenant community. It also tells us something very important right at the outset, that wisdom is the king's business. Wisdom is a royal enterprise for God's people. Um, And that's something that becomes important when Jesus comes into the world. One of the things that marks him as the king of Israel is his wisdom. He's capable of doing what a wise, he's capable of doing what a king needs to do. Be wise and dispense wisdom for his subjects. And the the gospels are filled with that reminder to us that Jesus is many things, but he's also wise. From his youth, Luke tells us in chapter 2, he was filled with wisdom. He continued to increase in wisdom. In his public ministry, when he would teach, people would marvel at his wisdom. They would ask the question, where does this come from? That he speaks with such wisdom. Uh, It marks him out. He proclaims in Matthew 12, 42, someone greater than Solomon has come. Solomon was the gold standard for wisdom. And now here is someone who's greater than Solomon in wisdom. And Paul explains how that truth can be in 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24, when he tells us Jesus Christ is the incarnation of God's wisdom. Christ is the wisdom of God. That's what marks him out as the king. One of the features that marks him out is he is a wise king and able to make his people wise by his spirit. He not only possesses the wisdom necessary to rule, he dispenses that to all of his people. That that Solomon here is a picture of Christ who comes as the faithful witness, the faithful guide to his people who comes and makes them wise. And that's so important to know that we have a faithful guide on this road to wisdom because wisdom is given to us for a fruitful purpose. Um, One of the things we read in verses 2 through 6 is the purpose for which this book is coming to God's people. The prophet it's to be for God's people. Uh, One commentator said we have as clear a purpose statement here as any book of the Bible, telling us what we are going to learn, what we're going to profit from, and what this book is going to try to do for God's people. It's as clear as any book of the Bible, but despite its clarity, it's very complex. There are so many aspects to being wise that are brought out here. There are so many facets. It's almost hard to wrap your mind around all the things that Solomon brings up. It's almost kind of dazzling, all the things that wisdom will produce in us. And so we, we have to somehow summarize it for ourselves, figure out what is, 
What is the purpose for which this literature is coming to us? What is the purpose in the lives of God's people that God has for us? And verse 2 really functions as a guide to the verses that follow. It tells us what wisdom will do for those who find it. Wisdom is to, it comes to know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight. Uh, Solomon is making it clear that that's sort of his thesis statement. That is what wisdom is going to do for God's people. It will help them know wisdom and instruction. It will help them understand words of insight. And if we really want to summarize what he's saying in verse 2, he's saying wisdom will really do two things for God's people. It will shape your character and it will sharpen your mind. Those are really the two things, the two purposes that are laid out in verse 2. It will shape your character and it will sharpen your mind. Uh, Wisdom and instruction in verse 2 really has more of a quality of character than a state of mind. It's more about your, your morals than your mental exercises. It's clear that God wants his people to be a moral people. To attain wisdom so that they would do what is right in God's eyes. Uh, to build character so that they would act with moral virtue in the world. God is concerned to shape the character of his people. And that character is shaped through wisdom. But God is not just shaping character through what he's going to teach us here. He's also going to sharpen our minds. What does the second part of verse 2 talk about? Understanding words of insight. That's a quality of mind. To have the sharpness of mind to understand the things that are going on in the world and to respond accurately to them. That's what God is going to do through this book. That's why he's given this book. That's the fruit this book intends to bear in the lives of God's people. It's to shape our character and it's to sharpen our minds. And then he expands on what he means by those things in verses 3 and 4 and 5 and 6. 3 and 4 really relate to the shaping of character. And verses 5 and 6 relate to the sharpening of the mind. You see how there's wisdom even in how this is put together. Um, even as, it, as Solomon explains the purposes, we can be sort of dazzled by the wisdom of how this is put together. Uh, verses 3 and 4 talk about how God is going to shape our character. Uh, first, by what we learn. So we, we see in verse 3 sort of the perspective of the student. What do we learn from wisdom? What do we receive from wisdom? We receive instruction in wise dealing sort of practical wisdom and good sense that results in a good pattern of life. So that we receive instruction in wise dealing and so that it will produce what in God's people? Righteousness, justice, and equity. What is so important for the covenant community? It's for God's people to be concerned with these things. And I think it's in order for a reason. This order is there for a reason. What is righteousness? It's to be concerned with God's moral order. To desire to see God's moral order established in your lives and in the life of the community. Um, It indicates a willingness of mind even to disadvantage yourself for the sake of establishing God's moral order 
in the covenant community. It's a desire to see that moral order built up and to be a participant in that building up. And if righteousness is to see God's moral order established more and more individually and corporately, what is justice then? It's a zeal to restore that moral order when it is disturbed or uh, taken apart. That's why so often in Scripture we see righteousness and justice together. It's those two impulses that go together. That God's right be established and that if God's right is disturbed or broken, that it's restored. And then we have that important final piece that God's people should be concerned for doing that in a way that's fair. So that we act with equity. The kind of fair dealing that will help in that restoration process, in that healing process, in that fixing process to actually serve and heal the community. That God wants to shape his people into that kind of character. To be concerned for the moral order and to want to see it restored when it's broken. To want to see it restored in such a way that real healing will take place. That the community will be served and built up in this process. You see how it it continues to come back to God's moral order as being the most important thing. The thing that we're passionate for. Righteousness as he defines it. Justice as he defines it. Equity as he defines it. So that his community will be built up. Wisdom needs to teach us that. Right? We, we, we should know if we don't know. If you don't know, I'm sorry to have to spring it on you. We don't just pop into the world being righteous, just, and fair people. It's something that wisdom is going to have to shape us into as we listen. Um, we need to come as students to, to wisdom to hear what it has to teach us. And what it has to teach us is not just explained in verse 3, but it's also worked out in verse 4. If verse 3 is the, te- is the student's perspective, then verse 4 is the teacher's perspective. What does wisdom give? It gives prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Wisdom gives prudence to the simple. Now, you know, normally when we use the word simple, we're talking about people who are somehow, you know, mentally challenged that they can't operate on the same way that other people might operate. That's not the way Proverbs uses the word simple. For Proverbs, the simple are simply people who are naive or untutored, unschooled. They just don't know any better. It doesn't have to do with their capacity to know. It has to do with the quantity of what they know and the quality of what they know. They're still naive. They're still unlearned in wisdom. They still need to be taught. And so what is wisdom going to teach those who are yet simple, who are unschooled? It's going to teach them prudence. This is a really interesting word. Um, This is the same word that Moses uses in Genesis 1 to describe the serpent in the garden. The serpent was craftier than any of the other beasts. And that kind of, te- that kind of helps us in, in a, in, when it's evil, that's a devious kind of craftiness. Right? But when it's turned to a good purpose, it's a, it's a prudent kind of craftiness. You can be wise as a serpent. And that's what wisdom is promising to do as a teacher to these people who don't know. 
It's going to make them shrewd. It's going to make them prudent. It's going to make them wise so that they see what's going on. It's going to make the prudent, it's going to make the simple prudent, and it's going to give knowledge and discretion to the youth. Now, this is sort of a parallel idea. Who are often simple people? It's young people. Young people are often those who are unschooled, who are naive about the world, who need knowledge and discretion to understand God's moral order and have the ability to discern how to follow it in the world. This is especially important for young people, for young people to be formed by wisdom because there is so much folly in the world and folly is loud and it's seductive. Uh, That's what we'll learn later as we go on in Proverbs, one of my favorite verses in Proverbs. Woman folly is loud, she's seductive, and she knows nothing. Um, And young people go out into that world where folly is screaming, and it seems very attractive. She hasn't a clue what she's talking about. That's why young people need wisdom to shape them, to shape their character, to give them knowledge and discretion. So they can see the truth and have the minds and the cleverness to to meet folly with real knowledge, real wisdom, the prudence to match the craftiness of the serpent, to know the truth in the world and to live it. In this way, Proverbs is completely countercultural when it comes to the youth. Um, Because our culture is really youth-centered in a lot of ways. It revolves around the youth, and it's constantly saying, you know, you really need to leave young people free to discover themselves. They really have to learn things for themselves, how to navigate life. And of course, we all know we have to learn something about how to live on our own, that nobody can teach us to live for us. We have to all kind of come to these things. But Proverbs is always adamant to say, You cannot leave young people to find their own way in the world because they are simple, because they are easy prey for folly, unless their characters are shaped by discipline, wisdom, instruction. Those who are simple and unguided inevitably become fools. So Proverbs would never say, leave a child to find their own way in the world. Proverbs would always say, no, that's a sure way to lead them to the path of folly. They must be made prudent and knowledgeable by God's word and by his spirit that they might meet the challenges of life with the right character, with discretion, with knowledge, with prudence. And that means not only must character be shaped, but minds must be sharpened. And that's what verses 5 and 6 are all about. We go from the one extreme, which is the simple and the young who don't know anything yet, and we go to the other extreme in verse 5, to those who are wise, those who seem like they've arrived. But wisdom has something to say even to the wise. Right? Let the wise hear and increase in learning. Right? Even, Even wise people can be continually sharpened in their minds by the practice of wisdom. No matter how wise we become, we can always learn more. Wisdom is saying to us, you've never arrived in this life. Even if you're wise, wisdom has something to teach you. 
Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And let the one who understands obtain guidance. Another way we could translate that word guidance is steering. Um, that if you understand, you'll be able to steer your way through your life in the right way that God wants us. The minds will be sharpened. You'll be able to steer things in the right direction. Um, and with a sharpened mind, you'll also be able to entangle the wisdom of the wise. Wisdom is a complex business. Um, wisdom is a complex business. We know that if we go from Proverbs to Ecclesiastes to Job. They're all about wisdom. Um, we could throw the Song of Solomon in there too. Um, we could go through all those books and see all the different facets of wisdom. There's some wisdom that's very plain. Um, there's some Proverbs that you're like, yeah, that's not complicated, I get that. There's some Proverbs that you'll read and will leave you scratching your head and think, how is that true? I remember the first time I read, the sluggard says, there's a lion in the street, I shall be killed. And then it moves on. And I thought, I would say that if I saw, am I a sluggard? What does that mean? I don't understand. Wisdom can be, can require thought. Uh, can require wisdom to untangle it. You ever thought about those Proverbs, answer a fool according to his folly, don't answer a fool according to his folly? How do you untangle that? It requires wisdom. That's what wisdom is promising us in verse 6, to be able to understand a proverb and a saying, to be able to understand something of the complexity of wisdom, those things that require deep thought and careful application, to help us understand the riddles, the elusive sayings, untangle the puzzling sayings of the wise. Wisdom is going to do all of these things for God's people. It has a wonderful capacity to shape character and to sharpen minds. And when we see how wisdom shapes character and sharpens minds, it can help us see how our Lord Jesus Christ was able to navigate a perfect life in the midst of a fallen world. Have you ever thought about how hard that was? To live for 33 years in this world as a perfect person who never sinned against the Lord in thought, word, or deed? Um, who interacted with sinners all the time and was never taken down by them, who was attacked by the devil in a way none of us have been attacked by the devil before and was able to come through uh, with a shining A-plus on his test. How was he able to do that? He was able to do that because he had had his character shaped by the wisdom of his father. He was concerned above all for righteousness and justice and equity. And he had his mind so sharpened by the wisdom of his father that he had a prudence and a knowledge and a discretion to navigate every moment in life the way it ought to be navigated. And the serpent who had always prided himself on being the craftiest guy in the room found out that there was a prudence against which he came that he had no match for. There was a sharpness to the mind of Christ that enabled him to see through every deception of the devil. Even when he tried to take the word of God and turn it against our Lord, he knew what he was doing. He was able to see his way through it. That wisdom, that justice, that equity in his mind 
helped him see the truth of what his father had said and the lies that were in the world. He was passionate for the right order of things. And when he saw that right order destroyed, he came to fix it. And when he saw how fixing it would serve and heal the covenant community, that drove him even to be willing to die a death on the cross for sinners like you and me. In part because his father had shaped his character in wisdom and sharpened his mind against the attacks of the devil. And he is our king who imparts that wisdom to us so that we too begin to navigate this world better. It should be a huge encouragement to us that we have a king like the Lord Jesus Christ who is not only so wise that he might rule us wisely, but who is a king who dispenses that wisdom by his grace and spirit to his people that we may learn more and more. And so we should have our ears opened throughout the book of Proverbs to do all of those things that, that verses 2 through 6 call us to do. Pay attention to all that it has to give us, to take it, to listen, to get understanding and wisdom by God's Spirit. So Solomon's laid out a pretty complicated, pretty complex, pretty important purpose in this book for God's people. It will bear much fruit in our lives, but when you see all of those many aspects of what he's talking about, we might be tempted to say, where do we begin you might say, I'm all in. I, I want my mind sharpened. I know it needs to be sharpened. I want my character shaped. I know it needs to be shaped. But it's a big book. It's a complicated task. Where do we begin? Well, that's why we're so helped that it begins with a foundational principle in verse 7. What is the foundational principle of wisdom? Where is the beginning where we must make our beginning if we want to have any success on this road? The beginning of verse 7 tells us, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You want to make any success in this world in wisdom and walking in wisdom's ways, it all must begin with the fear of the Lord. Without the fear of the Lord, you can't make a beginning. This is, this is a, a, the equivalent of what we read in Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. If you want to walk in wisdom's way, you must begin with the fear of the Lord. And that requires us understanding what the fear of the Lord is. I think the simplest way to put it is the fear of the Lord is the rough equivalent of what we understand as true faith. The fear of the Lord is the rough equivalent of true faith. What is true faith? It's something that knows the truth. Those who fear the Lord know God, know the God who's taught in the Bible. It's not the fear of God, it's the fear of the Lord. Those who know His name, His special name, Yahweh, that He's revealed to His people, they know Him as the one true God. Knowledge is the first part of true faith. And what is the second part of true faith? It's assent. True faith agrees with that truth. Those who fear God know Him as a good and glorious covenant-keeping God. He is holy. He will in no wise clear the guilty. His threats are to be believed and feared, but He is also merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love. Just as His threats are to be believed, His promises are to be believed. 
But his threats are to be feared. His promises are to be believed and rejoiced in for the goodness that it offers to God's people. Faith knows and it assents, it agrees to that truth, and it puts its trust in that. Those who fear the Lord trust the Lord to be their Savior. And we in these last days know that Savior in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Charles Bridges put it this way, in some the fear of the Lord is that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his Father's will. It's that worshipful submission to God. We love Him. We know Him. We fear Him. We obey Him. This is how you are led into wisdom. And without it, you can't understand wisdom as God proclaims it. One commentator said, what the alphabet is to reading, notes are to reading music, and numerals are to mathematics. The fear of the Lord is to attaining the revealed knowledge of this book. You can't begin on this path without true faith in Christ, without fear of the Lord. And to miss the path is something too bad to think about. Our passage ends with a dire warning, contrasting those who begin on the way of the fear of the Lord and those who never find it. Um, the book, the, the passage ends, fools despise wisdom and instruction. There are people who want nothing to do with God's wisdom. Uh, they don't want their character shaped by him. They don't want their minds sharpened by him. Um, it's the worst thing you can be in the book of Proverbs to be wise in your own eyes. To sit there and say, I'm good. I'm, I think I'm perfectly shaped right now. And this guy right here is perfectly sharpened. I don't need any of this. Um, what, what is that? It's to despise what God offers. And what's the, what's the most sad thing is it just leaves you as you are. A fool. Wise in your own eyes and no one else's. Right? Book of Proverbs say you know a fool when you meet him. Right? He might fool you as long as he keeps his mouth shut. But the minute a fool opens his mouth, you know he's not wise. He's only wise in his own eyes. And if he won't walk in wisdom's way, which way is he walking? He's walking on that broad, easy path that slopes gently down. It's not hard on your knees. It's an easy walk right down to destruction. And Solomon is coming at the end and saying, don't be a fool. You're not okay as you are. You need your character shaped. You need your mind sharpened. Don't despise the things of the Lord. Listen to his voice. Listen to the voice of wisdom. I pray that we'll all do that together as we walk through this book. And may God grant us the grace of, and the Holy Spirit to make us those who fear the Lord Jesus Christ, who walk in wisdom's way for our good and for his glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this book and we thank you for this introduction that shows so much wisdom in the way it presents things. We are thankful to have a king in heaven who is 
wise in all these ways and who can teach us the path of wisdom. We pray that we would all here make a beginning on this path by fearing you and putting true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then we would begin to walk in wisdom's ways. So we pray that you would watch over us and keep us, that you would guide us on this way by your Spirit, that we might become wise, that our character might be shaped in ways that are good for ourselves and for our covenant community here and for all the world, that would sharpen our minds so that we would avoid the failures of folly that we can so easily become entangled in, but might see them and avoid them and live for you, and that ultimately we would bring glory to your name by not despising the good things you've given to us, but by making good use of them and thanking you for them. So help us in these things together, Lord, and hear us for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take up our psalters and as a song of response, sing number 226, O the Deep Unbounded Riches. Number 226, it's a little unfamiliar to us, so we're going to play through it once before we sing it. And can we sing through it two times? It's only one verse, so hopefully being able to go through it twice will help us uh, to learn it a little better. So let's stand together and sing uh, number 226.
Dearly loved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, lift up your hearts to the Lord and receive now his blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. People of God, go in peace.